0: Good morning, church, both in the room and online. Welcome today. I'm glad you're here. My name's Stan. I'm the lead pastor here, and I am excited to be continuing to talk about living faith today. I hope you're excited to be listening about living faith today. Have we had a good time already in church? Yeah. Yeah. Is it okay to have a good time when you come to church? Okay. Okay. About half of you think that's okay. About half of you don't. For those that don't, listen close to the rest of this message, all right? Because I'm going to rock your world with some things. But hey, what's your favorite food? Tell the person next to you, what's your favorite food? Type it in the chat online. Online, folks, what's your favorite food? What's your favorite movie? Tell them that, that as well. What's your favorite song? Who's your favorite actor? Too many too many. What's your favorite footy team? Do we have the theme song queued up? No, no. Okay. The pies are pies. You know, I got, I've got a, I, can we have a moment, family? When, when we hired Pastor Inike, in the interview, I forgot to ask him what footy team he barracks for. And not only does he not barrack for Essendon, right, which is clearly the right team, right? Can I get an amen? Come on, people. All right. But he begs for the pies. And clearly he has brought some other pies followers along with him, so I guess that's okay. Anyway, let's, let's move. Hey, got a question for you. Have you, we're talking about our favorites, and, and that's a lot of fun and everything, but have you ever been discriminated against or shown favoritism? Have you ever experienced that? A few months ago, uh, we were in uh, South Asia visiting some of our global workers there, and on one of the days, we went to uh, this uh, chairlift that takes you really high in the sky, and you're able to, uh, supposed to see these beautiful mountains and everything, and we didn't see anything because it was so foggy and cloudy and all that, all that kind of stuff, pollution or whatever. But we got there, and there was a queue of about a couple hundred people. So we went to the back of that queue, and we weren't in that queue for more than about 10 or 15 seconds. And some people came up to us that worked there, and they grabbed us, and they escorted us to the front of the queue. How many would want to do that? Can I tell you, that actually made me very uncomfortable. I did not like that at all. Now, I liked saving the hour or however long it was going to be. Certainly, I'm not going to reject that. Uh, Mentally, But it made me very uncomfortable because I was being shown favoritism, honestly, because of the color of my skin. And that, friends, made me extremely uncomfortable. So that's an illustration of when I was shown favoritism. But there's also been a time where I felt very judged and discriminated against. I was 13 or 14 years old living with my auntie and uncle because... uh, I got in some trouble, and my my mom said, go live with your auntie and uncle in Bel Air or something like that. So um, (laughs) it was almost like that, but not quite, because they didn't live in Bel Air, and they weren't rich. Uh, But uh, anyway, my auntie and uncle were mad churchgoers. I mean, they would be there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night visitation, Tuesday night window washing. They were there all the time. And I jumped into that. I said, I'm gonna embrace this and I was actually enjoying it. And I connected in with the youth group and I was having a ball. By the way, I didn't know Jesus, but we had activities where we would go out and tell people about Jesus. <laughs> they they called it telling teens, and I could tell people about Jesus all day long, even though I didn't really know him yet, for myself personally. And then after about a month or a month and a half of connecting in with this youth group, the youth pastor pulled me aside one day. And I thought he was going to say, Stan, man, you're awesome. You're amazing. You're doing a great job. So good to have you here. But that's not what he said. He said, Stan, if you're going to keep hanging out with us, you need to look more like us. Boom. And what he meant by that was, now I was a good kid. I, I, re, I really was. I grew up, I, I wasn't a bad kid. I didn't get into all the bad things kids do. But my hair was long. Okay, I had long hair. It was touching my ears. <laughs> so what he was telling me is saying, you need to get a haircut and probably dress a little bit better too. It was kind of a wealthy church and things. So what do you reckon I did? Rebel and run away? No, that's not me. I'm a people pleaser. So I went home and I told my auntie, I need a haircut and I need you to help me with my clothes a little bit. Because I want to fit in and be what they expect me to be. As I look back, it's by God's grace in my life that I didn't just do a runner from that church and from faith Completely forever. That was a painful experience. But have you ever been judged by others based on your appearance? Maybe it's the color of your skin. Maybe you've been discriminated against because of your gender. Maybe maybe you've been mocked or ridiculed because of your political or religious beliefs. Anybody fit those categories? I think we probably all do at some time or the other, but then the, the, the flip side of that question is Have you been the perpetrator of that onto other people? If that's you, you've come to the right place today because we're in the middle of a series called Living Faith, and we're using for our text uh, the, the letter that James wrote, James, the half brother of Jesus, who, who wrote to Jews who were Christians, he was writing to Jewish converts, and we've Covered a fair bit of time or a fair bit already in this series. And if you've missed any of that, go to our website or our app. You can pick those up there and get caught up. But today there's gonna to be a shift in tone. James has been speaking in kind of broad general statements about living faith and being perfected, being made mature. But today, James is going to get really, really practical, really specific, and the rest of the book is going to, going to be like this. If he was a preacher, we might say, this is where James is going to start meddling a little bit, or we might say, he's going to get up in a business, all right? Anybody ready for that? No? <laughs> well, me neither, but here we go, because it's next in the Bible, so that's, what, that's the way we roll here. So, uh, this section... Starts out, James chapter 2, in verse 1, says this. My dear brothers and sisters, he he loves them, brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Boom! Be perfect, be mature. Hey, how can you call yourself a Christian if you're favoring somebody over other people, James says. Now, the word favor there translates uh, a Greek word that was actually... Translating a Hebrew word for partiality, which means to literally receive the face. Receive the face. What that means is that to judge based on appearance, to discriminate based on appearance, other things like social status, gender or race, We see an example of this in the Old Testament. We see that God had told the prophet Samuel to go anoint the next king of Israel, the one that was going to follow after Saul because God had rejected Saul as king. That's very important. Life group leaders, you'll see that in your notes this week. You get to dig down deep into that one. But anyway, Samuel went to anoint the king, the next king, and he didn't know who it was. He just knew that it was one of Jesse's sons. There's a guy called Jesse. He had a bunch of sons. So he gets there, and he meets Jesse's oldest son. Dude's name was Eliab, and Eliab was tall, dark, and handsome, and he was probably smart and all these things, too, and and Samuel said, that's the guy. It's got to be the guy, but look at what God told him. He says, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart, you ever judge a book by the cover, so to speak? Size someone up when you see them and you think, oh, okay, they're this or that or the other, that kind of thing? That's what James is talking about here. He's talking about not doing those things. He says the Lord doesn't look at people the same way we do. We make our judgments very quickly when we size people up. In fact, we, we would even look at somebody and say, hey, wow, that person's not a Christian yet, but they make a great Christian because they've got the haircut. They've got this and they They look the part. And we make that judgment. But oftentimes, God rejects those people we would accept, and he accepts those that we would reject, is what James is telling us here. What we need to understand, the principle here that we need to take home, is that living faith does not show favoritism to anyone. Living faith, that's what we're talking about in this series. If we're going to have a living faith, it does not show favoritism to anyone. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. Okay, because there are exceptions to the rule. Now you're thinking, wait a minute, it says anyone, right? Yeah, it does. But I'm going to tell you something. My wife is my favorite woman on the planet. And I make no apology for that. Because if she's not, that's a problem, right? Now, we can get into next week and Mother's Day and mothers and daughters and all that. I would still contend the wife is the favorite one. But anyway, so there are some exceptions. And that's not what James is talking about. And he's not talking about positional respect where someone, it may maybe a, a premier or a prime minister or, hey, oh, we just did something yesterday, right? The coronation of the king. He's not talking about not respecting those people's positions. He's talking about discriminating against people because of their social status or because of their race or because of their gender or because or because or because or because, or because anything. All right, he's not talking about respecting people and, and things like that and, and positions. He's saying favoritism based on external considerations flies in the face is in, it, fa- flies in the face of is inconsistent with the faith that we say we have in the one who came to break down barriers of nationality, of race, of class, of gender, and religion. That's what James is trying to teach us today. He says, how can you claim to have faith? James is hinting here that their faith may actually be a fake faith. If you're showing favoritism, maybe it's not a living faith. Maybe it's a fake faith. He says, how can you claim to have faith? Now, I think James was using that uh, for impact. Because I think James actually really believes that their faith was genuine because he's addressing them as brothers and sisters. He's not saying, hey, you pagan people who don't even follow Jesus. He's saying brothers and sisters. But he's saying you are behaving like your faith isn't real. You need to remember who you put your faith and trust in. You need to understand what he fought for and stands for. He broke down those barriers, and you need to live in such a way. Your belief needs to affect your behavior, and you don't need to act like your faith is fake. And just to make sure they understood, then he gives them a beautiful illustration here. He says this. He says, suppose someone comes into your meeting. Stop there for a second. He uses the word that your meeting is the word synagogue. So they were still behaving a little bit like the the Jewish, uh, uh, they were practicing Judaism, okay? They they brought some things from Judaism over to their Christian church, all right? So you got to keep that in mind. It's really important here in just a minute. It says they're dressed, somebody comes and they're dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry. And another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Again, they brought some things from Judaism along with them. Jewish people in in that day wanted honor and respect. They went after and competed for honor and respect. And in the synagogue, they would seat according to their class. Where you sat showed where you were in the social climate of that community. And they were bringing some of that into the church. James calls out that practice, and he calls Christians to live differently. He says, that practice is wrong. You can't show favoritism to other people. So in this hypothetical scenario, and I actually wonder if it was real, he says, suppose someone comes in, but then he gets really specific. So I'm not sure this wasn't just a real situation, and he tried to soften it a little by saying, suppose, just suppose, Somebody comes in. One's well-dressed with fancy clothes. One's disheveled and dirty. The well-dressed one gets the prime seats. They usher him in, and there he is right up the front. Or maybe the prime seats are the back seats here. I don't know. But uh, that was the scenario. And then the, the, the dirty, disheveled guy comes in, and they said, uh, maybe you stand over here out of the way. Or if you must sit, well, here, sit on the floor out of the way. That's what James Paint, the picture he paints for us. And I want you to think for a moment about the dirty, disheveled guy that came in. What did it take for him to get to the point of coming in? What things did he battle within himself? Oh, will I fit in? Will I be accepted? Will I be rejected? And then when he comes in, what did they do? They confirmed his fears. Think about that guy. You know, there's a leader in India called Mahatma Gandhi. Heard of Gandhi? Yes. He was famous for advocating for human rights and equality, and he was a leader who promoted peace. And he said some things about Christianity that should cause us to take notice. One of the things he said was this, I believe in Christ, but not Christianity. Christianity. I believe in Christ, but not Christianity. Then he also said this. He said, if it weren't for Christians, I would be a Christian. Now, I'm a, I'm a guy who doesn't like the fact that Christians get beat up on all the time. Okay? Okay? I don't like people taking negative pot shots at Christians and and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, in the media and in the news and all that. You know, Christians get attacked regularly. And I am 100% against that. It makes me grumpy and annoyed and all of that. But when someone says, if it weren't for Christians, I would be a Christian, I think we need to ask why they're saying that. I think we need to understand what they're on about. Why would they make a statement like that? And here's why Gandhi felt that way. He wrote in his autobiography that he was a a uni student and he had read the Gospels. And as he was reading the Gospels, he thought Jesus might actually be the answer to the caste system in India. Jesus might be the answer to that. So he decided, I'm gonna go to a church. So one Sunday he went to a Christian church And he was planning to talk to the minister there about what it would look like for him to be a Christian, how to become a Christian, and all of that. And he got to the door, and the usher, or the member of the welcome team, met him there and said, No, you can't come in. You need to go worship with your own people. So Gandhi said, he left the church, he said, if Christians have caste differences also, I might as well stay a Hindu. Friends, what message do we send to people? What message do we send to a community that's out there, that's not yet following Jesus, if they're exploring? You know, I do wonder, as great an impact as Gandhi had on the world in these uh, areas of equality and peace, what if, what if he had done that as a follower of Jesus? What good could he have done for the cause of Christ around the world? It's kind of sad, isn't it, when we realize that. And hindsight is perfect. We know that. Nobody would have ever thought when they met him at the door that was going to be a big deal. But it was a big deal. You know, behavior follows the heart and the mind or belief. Jesus was the risen son of God, and their behavior needed to reflect that. I think James illustration here is very pertinent to us. It has some rich value for us to unpack here and I want you to understand something. There's much debate about Sunday church services. Not just our church but any church service. Who are they for? Is it for the saints? Is it for the already converted? Is it for building them up and letting us worship and uh, and express our love for God? Or is it for the not yet converted? The people who are looking for acceptance and hope and a place of belonging. Who is it for? The answer, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's for both. You know, there are people who are exploring faith and looking for a place of belonging and acceptance. And they come into the church looking for hope. And the church must be the place where that is found. It has to be. Take you back to the story I shared, shared earlier where I was trying to connect into that youth group, Love and Life, wanted to follow Jesus, I think, but I didn't even know how. But it wasn't a place that I was going to have belonging. That's why we try to create environments where both things are valued. That's why we work hard to make sure that the experience people have when they come in the space, it's not off-putting or, or not even just drastically confusing. That's why at the beginning of the services, you'll notice that a lot of times we'll, we'll talk about, if you're new to church, thanks for taking the risk. Thanks for having the courage. And we acknowledge that it can be a strange environment. We do that very intentionally because we want people who are still far from God, who are not yet followers of Jesus, to find a place of belonging for them to fit in as well as they can. We also work hard to teach the Word of God in a true and faithful way so that believers and unbelievers can have the Holy Spirit working within them. And as they hear the Word of God, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And that it show, exposes things to us that we need to change in our lives both believers and unbelievers, and we work hard to stay true to that. But we let the Holy Spirit do that work. We let the Word of God do that work. We're not the ones who judge people and decide whether they're going to fit in or not or whether they can come to faith or not or when they're going to come to faith. We accept them as they are and help them to grow and learn. You know, we need to be vigilant about not showing judgment or partiality. Because people who are not following Jesus need to come in and find a place of acceptance, not condemnation. We can't be expecting people who don't yet to believe to behave like people who have believed for 20 or 30 years. And too often in churches, that's what happens. The youth pastor they told me, if you're going to hang out with us, you need to look more like us. Does that make anybody else grumpy? Are you with me this morning? Hello? Eh, This is heavy stuff. I know, it's really heavy and it makes me grumpy because I've experienced it. Some of you have experienced it too. Sorry for that. James goes on, he says this. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? After the illustration, he gives them four questions that are rhetorical in nature. He's expecting an affirmative answer. He says, Hasn't God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, the words of Jesus says this, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. James was remembering what his brother Jesus had said. The kingdom of heaven belongs to the poor who recognize their need for God. Then James says this, but you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? That's the other rhetorical question. The rich people were dragging them into court, literally dragging them into court was with violence. They oppress you. They were abusing their power against the poor. The rich get richer on the backs of the poor. That's what James is talking about here. And then Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31 speaks to this. Those who oppress the poor insult their maker, but helping the poor honors him. Are you getting the message today? James wasn't just speaking off his own back. He's quoting Jesus. He's quoting the Old Testament. He's talking about these principles that are good for both. And by the way, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, you would actually be saying, yeah, 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 I agree with these principles. We need to treat the poor with value. And respect. He says, aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? You're claiming faith in Jesus and you're honoring people who are slandering Jesus. What's up with that, James is saying. How is that okay? So the readers now would have had to admit that, okay, um, it's pretty unreasonable to show favoritism to anyone. That would have to be their conclusion. They could not draw any other conclusion at this point during this section of James' letter. But then he goes on, and he gives them an alternative. And it's not what would James do in this instance. This is what Jesus would do. In verse 8, it says, Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the Scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. The royal law the law given by the king of kings. That's why it's the royal law in Matthew chapter 22. But in Luke chapter 10, Jesus was talking to a man who was saying, how do I get to the kingdom? How can I get into the kingdom? And he extolled all of the virtuous things that he had done. And Jesus said, go and sell all your goods and things. But Jesus said, who is my neighbor? Because Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy wanted to find a loophole. And here's Jesus' words. I'm just going to read Jesus' words to you. I'm not even going to comment on them. I'm going to let them speak for themselves. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Who's your neighbor? Love your neighbor as yourself. It's what James is saying. That's the royal law. And he said, You would do good to obey that, to follow that. Here we understand that not only does living faith not show favoritism to anyone, living faith does show love to everyone. Living faith shows love to everyone. Yes. You fill in the blank, whoever you're thinking about right now, even that person, yes, living faith shows love to everyone. See, when it comes to Christian behavior, this is the greatest hallmark of the, of the Christian faith. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 even says that if you don't love other people, then you're really lying if you say you love God because you can't love God without loving people. It's got to spill over onto people. So in this passage, James' emphasis is that showing favoritism is the opposite of showing love. Treating people different than us in any way, whether it be race, social status, gender, or whatever, is sin. Many, many, many years ago, I met a pastor. He was back in the U.S., so all the Australian churches are fine. I met this pastor, and he was telling me about his youth ministry. And he said, we had this youth pastor for a while. And he came in, and he started hanging out down at the local basketball courts. And he was actually hanging out with the street kids. And then he started organizing them and doing some basketball tournaments. And they were doing a Bible study. Every week on Saturdays, they would meet together. They'd play basketball, and he would do a Bible study with them. And they were getting up to 80 kids coming out for this. I'm getting excited. I'm thinking, wow, that's great. Take notes to Chan. And then he said this He said, but now some of the kids are starting to come to church and mix in with our kids. And I had to let that youth pastor go. Oh! Can you believe it? James is saying, Don't do stupid stuff like that, people. When people are different than you, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Don't favor the ones that you like or the ones that you look like. So how do we show love for others to others? We accept people as they are. We look at them through the eyes of Christ. And if if they are a follower of Jesus, then we know Christ lives in them and we can love them because Christ lives in them. If they are not yet a believer, we know that Christ died for them, and we can love them because they're a person that Christ died for. See how this works? We can love everyone. Jesus was called a friend of sinners, and some people actually don't like that. And they think that's got to mean something different because Jesus wouldn't have been compromising. Friends, it wasn't compromise for Jesus to be a friend of sinners. It was compassion for Jesus to be a friend of sinners. And then when they came to him for forgiveness, he granted that to them. James would say, You need to love everyone. He knew that some of his readers were going to say, Come on, is favoritism really a big deal? And then he said this to him: For the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. And then he compares adultery and murder and some other things there. And he says, if you break one, you've broken them all. If you're showing favoritism, you're the same as a murderer. You're the same as an adulterer. There are no little sins. There are no Christian sins that you can get away with. So stop showing favoritism. Love people. Just as God has been merciful to us, we need to be merciful to others. And you're sitting here today, and I, I, you're probably not saying, so what? Because the application's pretty clear, isn't it? We've talked about favoritism in the context of rich and poor, which was James' example, how we treat people that come into the church. And there's plenty of things, principles that we can take away here and apply for us collectively. And We've covered that. But I want you to think about your personal life and your interactions with people. Some of you, have dealt with the frustrations of discrimination. Some of you have been in the privileged place of being shown favoritism. Some of you have been discriminated against within the church. And I'm not talking about be Baptist Church, although that's certainly possible that that's happened to some of you at some time. But the church globally... And for those of you who have been hurt by the church because of this, can I say on behalf of every church on the planet to you today, sorry. I am so sorry you experienced that. And it's because you have experienced that, because I've experienced that, that I am so passionate about making sure that Werribee Baptist Church is not that place. Be Baptist Church is that place where people are going to find hope and healing who have been hurt by churches before, who have been hurt by society before, who are hurting right now. How do you respond to people who are different than you? Fat people, skinny people, short people, tall people, hairy people, bald people. How do you respond to people who are different than you? Are you racist? Are you ageist? Are you wealthist? That's not a word, but I made it up. It works. Are you liberal? Are you labor? Are you green? Are you independent? Are you a member of the pirate party? Do you know, Jesus doesn't care about your politics. Doesn't care if you're fat or skinny or bald or hairy. He doesn't scare, care about any of that. He cares about your soul. And he loved you enough to die for you. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you've experienced his grace and mercy in your life, show that to somebody else. We need to see people as people that Christ died for. You know, living faith looks a whole lot more like showing the love of Jesus to everyone rather than favoritism shown to anyone. So is your faith today a living faith? Here's a test that James has given us today. Living faith does not limit love to those we like. Living faith does not limit love to those that we like. Or to those who look like us. Or to those who think like us. Or those that behave like us. And friends, even to those who believe like us. Living faith doesn't limit love to the people that we like. So this week, my challenge to you is to go out and love someone not like you. Find somebody that's different than you and show them the love of Jesus. Father, thank you so much for James' words that are hard to hear. Lord, as we listen to his words and evaluate our lives and just how we interact with each other even Lord if we're honest we we all have favorites at some time and Lord we accept James words that were directly from you today that that's not okay so Lord forgive us for the times that we show favoritism forgive us for the times we discriminate based on what a person looks like or behaves like or thinks like, talks like. Help us to show the same love that Jesus showed to us to them. Help us to spill that over onto them as people who have a living faith. And Lord, if today this has challenged us in the area of, is our faith even alive? Lord, I pray that people would respond to that if they've got that prompting. Do I have a living faith? May they make sure of that today. In Jesus' name, amen.